Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, welcome back to Oz Business Australia's only live streaming channel of the very latest business and market news. I'm David Kosh. Great to have your company. Just gone midday. Eastern Standard Time, that means it is time for the call. 10, ten stocks, two experts, 60 minutes, and we plough through them all. Uh, one of my favourite uh, group of panellists today is Mark Morland from Team Invest. Mark, good to see you again. It's good to see you, Koshi. And Scott Phillips. Um, normally, up, in man. professional markets, from Motley Fool, regarded as somewhat as a finance guru, not so much a handyman, you'll notice... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, we showed some pictures that shot scare, uh, Scott shared on his social media about soaring through a, um, uh, an easel, sort of a, a workbench. Um, but I have to say, he's had some lessons. Take a look at the outcome. Scott Phillips, you should be on house rules, I think. Now, have we got the photos there, Sarah? Yes. Wow. There this chicken run. This was, a chicken run. This was what you were building, was it? It was, mate. And, and thankfully, I've, I think I've almost run out of band-aids, mate, but I didn't cut any more saw horses in half. This was the, this was the final version. I, so I've we'll see how say, it holds up. But that's fine. It looks good from a distance, doesn't it? That, that <laughs> is... I look too closely. That is so, so impressive. I took the mickey out of you last time. I take the words back. I would not be able to do that in any time. Uh, whatsoever was this for for children or and that's a veggie patch in front is it is that at home yeah you got it yeah the veggie patch and a chicken coop mate we're trying to uh trying to do the right thing the bad news was we had a couple of chickens taken by a local fox uh, about a month oh. earlier so it was more than past time that i built a new one and that's what we came up with over quite a few oh. weekends just quietly if i was paying by the hour mate let's just say we've been better off buying the eggs but uh but that's all right. A bit of fun and something to achieve, which is nice. I love learning about these secret skills that people have that come out in isolation. Yeah, yeah. Mark, have you, you got go. one to share? Are uh, you a handy nothing, man? Nothing. I am, I'm pretty handy, but not, nothing like that. In fact, I'd love to have some chickens, but I don't think the rooster idea would work <laughs> with the neighbours. Our stock of the day, Elders, has reported a 90% gain in half-year profit, despite disruptions caused by the COVID pandemic and the bushfires. The Agribusiness and Property Group says first half statutory net profit uh, hit $52 million. It's about double the same time last year. Share price yesterday or is up 40% since March to a 10-year high. And um, it's um, doing pretty well in both China and Australia. Its chief executive says the group's in a strong position now looking to buy distressed assets. Um, Scott, in this market, that's a pretty good result from a a famous agribusiness brand, was it? Are you impressed? Yeah, look, I, I am actually impressed, Koshi, although we should say to some degree, the result owes more to the weather, as it yep. often does with agribusiness and to the operations specifically. Uh, it rained, which which frankly <laughs> has been a long time coming now. 
we should say it's, you know, the drought hasn't broken right across Australia. So we're still um, you know, feeling for those farmers who are still waiting for something to fall from the sky. But yeah, look, the, the rain was very kind to elders. The biggest story you mentioned, mate, is that ongoing kind of business turnaround. There is that saying that turnarounds often don't turn. I'm pretty mm. pleased to say this one has a long time recommendation of ours. We've done reasonably well for our members up so far. I'm not a victory lap kind of guy, but so far so good. The, the management has been really, really impressive here. So mm. you've got to be set up for taking advantage of when the weather does change, when you do get that benefit. And the company's certainly done that and in spades. Um, again, look, the, the result could have been half or double depending on what happens with the weather. So all, a bit like mine, all you can control is the operational elements of your business. Yeah. Have <clears> your balance sheet. They've whittled down the business. As you say, they're now in a position to make some really attractive acquisitions if they see fit. Yeah. Now that's always got some risk. So I'm always a little bit tentative when they say, yeah, we're gonna go and spend some money. You think, guys, don't screw it up now. You've worked so hard over the last four <laughs> or five years to fix this business. But fingers crossed, so far, so good for elders. Okay, at this price, or would you be a buyer still? Uh, yeah, but but maybe kind of leaning towards hold. It's probably getting to that right. point where I'd be you know, almost considering downgrading. As I said, we've had right. it for, for quite a while. The turnaround's been done. I'm, as an investor, I'm generally inclined to give good management teams a bit of rope, to be fair. So I, I would. I think it still is a buy for now, but right. watching more closely than we have because okay. of that price rise. Uh, because, Mark, it was a dog for so many years. Sure it was, was it? It was terrible. Mm. Uh, and that's a pretty impressive chart. It is. And uh, I, I did read their uh, presentation. Right. And uh, what was interesting about it is they were very, very bullish on their outlook and, and also crowing about how well they'd done. And I totally agree with Scott. The trouble with agribusinesses is the, uh, the, is the weather and there's so many things outside yeah. their control. So it could either go for you or against you. Yeah. It's a very difficult area to invest in. If, you, if you're looking for reliable returns over time. Yeah. Um, they're not expensive. You know, they're only on a PE of about uh, 13, but they're never, they're never high. You know, yeah. and, and I would argue that's right. And the lows have been sort of four to eight per year. Yeah. So because of the unknown and because of the instability. Reading their report, they, uh, they talk about their eight point plan going forward. It's a very aggressive process of improving every part of their business and every single aspect. They're gonna grow share, they're going to uh, win business, they're gonna improve efficiency. I mean, it's very, it's very, very aggressive. And, and obviously the management set the bar high and are really driving hard. Yeah. Now, so my view on it would be, if they can continue with their EPS growth, yeah. which in the last few years has averaged 23% a year for the last mm. six years, which is good. Yeah. Uh, and I agree, significant amount of fortune, fortune in there with the weather. Uh, if they can maintain that, then it's, it's not expensive right. at the okay. moment. And we're showing a returning about 17% a year over the next five years, if they can maintain the growth rate. Right. And it is a very big if. Yeah. You know, from my point of view. Uh, that's our stock of the day. We try and pick a stock that's in the news to see if it changes the opinion of the experts on the panel. Let's get to the 10 stocks that you've suggested. And uh, we kick off with uh, Scott, one of the great retail brand names in Australia, Harvey Norman. It's a really, you know, really storied stock, as we well and truly know. And Jerry Harvey, of course, one of the more iconic, some will say iconic plastic CEOs on the ASX right now. Certainly good for a quote, certainly not shy of, of putting his view <laughs> forward. And occasionally, he'd probably acknowledge himself, maybe putting his foot in the mouth every now and again. It, it's been no, a really we can all do that. <laughs> going 30 years without a recession effectively has meant that, it, you know, in, in usual times when you have a recession, it weeds out the, the weaker players, right? It's the sort of activity that simply says, right, if you're not good enough, you're not profitable enough, if you haven't got market leadership or at least you're not an up-and-coming innovator, you're going to get swept away. For 30 years, almost you know, exactly 30 years, Harvey Norman's had to battle everyone who wants to be in this industry at a really, really 
very good time. I mean, going out of business as a retailer in the last 30 years, you've had to try really, really hard because it's gone so incredibly well economically. I, I think it is one of those businesses that should come out the other side of this one stronger than it went in, specifically for exactly that reason, that you'll see fewer players in its space. The biggest risk with Harvey Norman right now is that it's got to share, a bit like Metcash we talked about I think a couple of weeks ago, it's got to share the margin with its franchisees. A franchise model is wonderful until the internet comes along. And all of a sudden now, if I buy something from JB Hi-Fi or Kogan or something else, I get it from a central location or from a store, but a company-owned store, where there's not the issue of how much do I pay the franchisee? How do I really go online? How do I work out what territory it's in? That's been a real challenge for Harvey Norman to get its head around. And I think that's a, a bit of an Achilles heel for the business. At the current price, I have to say I'm tempted. It's not a buy for us yet. Um, but you know, Jerry's got such a long record. It's very tough to bet against Jerry Harvey. Now, the stock's gone almost nowhere in a decade. But as I said, that's in very good economic times. I, I do think after this, we may well see the strongest come out stronger. I think that's Harvey Norman, I think it's JB, I think that's Hogan. Okay. On top of that, people see a lot of failures. Okay, Mark? Um, yes, yeah, interesting. Um, we're actually quite uh, positive on the uh, retail uh, sector, and the main reason is that um, nearly all the retailers got slammed by over 70%. Yeah. So the market was down about 30 yeah. And they're and, still and down there, aren't they? Well, they've come back partly, right. but they're still down 50 yeah, you know, uh, typically, and so is Harvey Norman. Harvey Norman's two eighty four. It was four dollars eighty seven. Yeah, uh, before so pretty close to half, bit over with Harvey Norman. Harvey Norman's passed our filters uh, for years, off and on, you know, depending on uh, pricing and so on. Uh, we've never passed it through our process, and the main reason is Jerry himself. Right. It's the way he runs the business. It's very much a Jerry Harvey show, right. and he he's it, he's it's opaque. Right, is probably the point. Yeah. So he runs it like you know it's it's a. It's his deal, which which you know, which yeah. it sort of is. So if you're invested in it, you're really going for the ride with Jerry. And I totally agree with everything Scott said. He has been a iconic performer, and it is quite cheap relatively at the moment. Uh, I'm less concerned about their franchise model. I think it actually works quite well. Although yeah. whenever a franchise goes broke, a franchisee they sort of disappear, and it's very hard to track it through the accounts. Yeah. There never seems to be a a write-off of, uh, you know, just all disappears. So we've always found it just too hard to get our head right. around to really understand. The other big issue with Harvey, with Jerry Harvey and uh, Harvey Norman is it's, it's, it's largely a real estate play as well. I mean, yes. a big part of their business is real estate. And with what's happening in um, uh, retail real estate with rents all going down across the board, yeah. on one hand, it's good for him, but as an asset class, it's going to get smashed, I think, right. over the next okay. year or two. Because uh, the cap rates will come down because rents are coming down everywhere. Yep. You, know, you can okay. see it everywhere. Yep. So that's a negative. I don't know. I couldn't quantify it, right. but it, uniquely that's just him. Right. Because if you okay. look at AX1 or other quality retailers, they don't have those problems. Yep. Do you have an alternative retailer? Well, I, I, I'd go AX1 or Nick Scarly. Right. Okay. Yeah. So be the two as an that, alternative. Uh, that, I, I, that I'd buy. Okay. All right. Uh, so I know for Harvey Norman there. Um, Mark, while we've got you. Uh, Insurance Australia Group, IAG. Yeah, uh, hard one. Um, we have uh, we have Insur- looked at- insurance companies are always hard. They are they? because they are. they're so complex, and yeah. and their their accounting so messy. Yeah, is that? And I remember what they do is they take premiums up front, and in the old days you used to invest it and get a return on it. And most insurance companies were happy to break yeah. even on their uh, uh, their claims versus premiums because they get to hold the money for a number of years and so on. Yep. That model doesn't work anymore because interest rates are, are uh, you know, down to nearly zero and equities are nowhere near as reliable as they used to be, particularly yep. for insurance companies. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, Buffett bought into this um, about, I think, probably three years ago now. Yep. Um, and he'd had a long-term relationship with them. And I met 
uh, one of Buffett's senior managers in the insurance division when I was at Omaha a few years ago. Right. And I asked them about uh, um, IAG, and they said that they, they'd been dealing with them on reinsurance for right. you know, 20 years or something. It's a long, long-term relationship. Right. And they said they were quality management, and it's a good company, and they were happy to be uh, part of it. And we won't go into what the deal was, but right. I found that as a big uh, tick, you know, mm-hmm. the Berkshire would buy it. So I bought some then. Right. And I lasted about three years, and then I, I gave up. Because it's, you've got to have patience, big time, more, yeah. more so than we even have. Uh, Buffett says if you're investing in insurance, you've got to look at 10 years because you know, they're going to have big swings that yeah. are going to be based on natural disasters and so on. Yeah. And probably the best time to buy them, if, you are, if you're one of my insurance companies, is when uh, straight after we've had major dramas. Right. And okay. then they're, 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 they get smashed. On yeah. their price, yeah, yeah, and that's the time to buy them because they put the premiums up, and then right. on the cycle they get like it after right. a bushfire yeah, or yeah, something yeah, like something that. Like that. Yep. Too yeah. hard. Yep. Okay. Uh, Scott, can't disagree with any of Mark's qualitative comments. I, I will wade, maybe, maybe riskily, maybe, uh, uh, maybe it's not a great thing into that market. I think it is a buy for me right now, particularly at the current price. The shares have fallen meaningfully since its pre-COVID highs, and I think to Mark's point, to my mind that does represent something of that kind of cyclical opportunity. Of course, it may still be wrong. And normally, as Mark said, it normally is after a disaster or something where the market overreacts price-wise to the long-term future of a business. I do think the recent price falls have given us that opportunity sans disaster. Now, there still could, of course, be costs coming from COVID, but they're likely to be limited. The company did report a $280 million loss due to the write-downs of the credit and the equity markets recently, and that did see the shares sell off hugely. I think that's a one-off. I think it's not going to be a continued issue. Look, when I say not mm. continued, maybe six to a month. But long-term for IAG, if you've got that five-plus-year horizon, 10 years potentially, as Mark says, um, I think IAG, probably the best in general insurer in the country. Yeah. Insurance is a tough game. It's a tricky game to earn profits on. But I think at the current price, it's just too cheap to ignore. So I would say it's a buy, but I, I agree with Mark. There is a time to yeah. buy. Potentially also a time to sell if it gets too expensive. Um, but right now, it feels like a pretty good opportunity to me those cautions that Mark highlights notwithstanding. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Mark, you wouldn't like the sector all up. Well, I think it's so, too hard. Yeah, but just, just hard on following on what Scott said, if I give them 6% EPS growth yeah. you know, for the next five years, uh, and remember, it's been negative up until this last report, right. um, yeah. you get 10% return right. at the current price. Okay. So yeah. if, as long as they can maintain 6, now 6 is not a Herculean number, particularly with what they're reporting and their story, yeah. um, we'll see. Yep, okay. Yeah. Uh, and third stock, uh, a specialist packaging business, uh, Scott Aurora. This has been fascinating, Kashi. I expected to see, I have to say, check the share prices when you, gave, you guys gave me the list yeah. um, to, to kind of have a look at the chart and see what it had done. My, my initial thought was, how could a box maker not be making money in a, in a, in a time when <laughs> e-commerce is going through the roof, right? People aren't buying, shopping yeah. at, at stores, mm. but we're all jumping online and buying more stuff online. Kogan sales, I mentioned already. I should just declare I own shares in Kogan, but... It doubled its sales in April, literally 100% growth in April. You would expect a box maker to start doing pretty well in that sort of environment. Now, I'm not a fan of these businesses generally. They tend to be low margin businesses. They tend to be price takers because how much does a cardboard box cost and how much can you really pay, you know, charge for it? Um, we know there are allegations of cartel behavior in the past. We won't go too deeply into that. <laughs> but the reality is without some sort of cooperation in the past, profits would have been even harder to come by. I think it's a person who believes this is a market beater of any long-term future. Just very, very hard to look at that business and say, you know, where do excess margins come from? What, you know, where does it get market beating profit margins, market beating growth? I don't think it does. And so I think this is one, unless you get a really stupidly cheap price or some really significant market dislocation, it's likely to continue to trail the market over any extended period of time. 
Um, it's never been a buy for us. It's not a buy now. If I owned it, I'd sell it and I'd buy shares in something else. Okay. Mark? Uh, yes, it's not a company I've ever looked at, but um, they're, I, I sort of agree with Scott. I, I, when I read about it too, they do, they do bottles as well and right. uh, cans, yeah. <laughs> so it's not just boxes. <laughs> but it is a commodity, the commodities, yep. but they talk about how they have special techniques of doing them and they have better structures and quality and price. So they've got, they've got some stories in there in their product. It's not just boxes. Yep. Sure. Um, and obviously, for them to be able to generate 26% EPS growth, yeah. Uh, which is what their average has been for the last six years, they obviously have mm. some competitive advantages and some moats. Yep. Yep. Without knowing any more about them than that, uh, it looks quite good. From that, return on equity is 14%. Um, debt's 60%. It's not too bad. Uh, it's on a 16 PE, though, which is in the bottom quartile of what it's been. So it's yep. come down uh, to 223 was the low from the 346. So it hasn't come down that much yep. you know, through the credit. Yep. Problem. It's currently 258, as of yesterday. But we're showing it returning... Uh, 10.5% on a margin of safety, which is pretty conservative. Right, yeah. Uh, but I, 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 I'd have to know a lot more about it before team sure. investors say we'd be interested in it. It's never come up on our radar. But it's one of those companies where you think, oh, gee, the Pratts have made so much money in Vizzy. Yeah. Surely that's a place to make money. This is a, li- a yeah. listed example of it, Scott. And uh, um, maybe they're not quite that good. <laughs> I, well, the other thing is, if they've made a lot of money out of it, there's a fair chance you don't want to be competing with them. It's maybe the other way to look at that, yeah, I have to say. Yes. Um, yeah. You're competing with Kerry Packer. You know, if you're on the other side of a trade with Kerry Packer, you know you're on a losing side, generally yeah. speaking. <laughs> I, I'd be a little bit careful with trying to be uh, in competition with the Pratts for, for exactly that reason, quite frankly. They are the masters of a, of a very, very tough industry. Yeah. Yeah. You see someone do so well, you do yeah. wonder how much profit's left for everybody else. I might be way too pessimistic on Aurora. Um, the other thing, by the way, I should say about most of what we'll talk about today is because the market's been sold off so dramatically, I'd be surprised if most of the companies we talk about don't earn money from here, don't make money for investors from this point. The market's down still by about a third or at least a, a one third return to get back to where yep. we were. And so yep. average companies are probably going to gain 5, 10, 15% from here. Yep. Of course, the, the bogey needs to be whether or not you can beat the market. So I would yep. say it's worth thinking about that context of share prices, sure. not just can I make money? Because most of the answer will be yes from here because the, the, the market is so okay. beaten down right now. All right. Uh, so Aurora, makes take money. your point. I, I doubt it. Take your point, except for this next stock. <laughs> so push pay um, is what doubled in three weeks. Um, it's I've, I've had it on my little list that I put together from sort of talking to all you blokes. Um, and I thought, oh, this could be just because it fascinated me. This business started by a couple of Kiwis. Uh, it's basically a tech company, but so churches can. It's like an online collection service for for donations for churches, and it's in America. And I've just thought, what a unique business this is. But the share price got, has gone through the roof in the last three or four weeks. It really has cost you. And this is one I've missed as well, mate, for the same reasons. It, it, so basically, it provides software or apps specifically that yep. allow parishioners to donate money to their, to their the local church. You know, no, no, not coins or notes in the plate or in the bag that gets handed no. around the, the old velvet. These days, everything is online and push pay. This, this is a great model of what new tech is doing, right? They're going Look to at the church chart. Yeah, it's phenomenal. We'll build it for you. And when we build it, we'll take a clip of the ticket on the way through. And we'll yep. make sure you get more money. So the church is saying, well, we've got a communication platform. We've got an easy way for people to give electronically. And by the way, when you like our all renewable revenue businesses, if you're a church and you get someone to say, look, I'll give you X dollars a week or a month or a fortnight, 
yeah, much higher chance of getting that money than people having to remember to bring money to church or or put their hand in their in their pocket when it comes to Sunday morning. So when that's your model, it's a pretty attractive one. And Pushpay has basically made it so easy for churches to take yeah. them up on the deal. Now, the last couple of weeks, what's been shown, we think, from the results thus far is a really good uptake of their small and medium church business. They originally went to those mega churches, right, which makes a heap of sense. You do, you do one app, whether you've got 10 parishioners, 100, 1,000 or 10,000, the app cost is roughly the same. If you can go to the big church, you get a whole lot more money. What kept me on the sidelines was I wasn't sure, I'm still 100% convinced. Now they've got the mega churches, they're moving down scale, which means it's more expensive to service. You got, yeah. It's harder to sell to because you've got to sell for, you know, the same person's got to do the sale for a much smaller church. There's a diminishing return at some level. Now, as I said, I sat in the sidelines for too long and missed that uptick that you just showed almost went parabolic the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm still concerned though after that move as to whether or not there's enough market opportunity at right. the now current price in particular for it to, to, to grow meaningfully from here. Again, when you've already got the most attractive customers like miners, you've always mined the best yeah. grade first because that's where you get the money. When you're down to the second and third tier grades, your economics- Because they're, in, they're in the so US far. now, aren't they as well? They've had a big yeah, push exactly. into and the US, but not Europe. Exactly, exactly. So look, I, I wouldn't rule it out. I wouldn't right. sell it if I owned it. I don't think I'm buying it at the current price though. Yep. Mark? Uh, well, we wouldn't be interested. It's, it's really a specky company. Yep. And the reason is it's only got four years history. Yep. And of those four years, the first two years were big losses. And then the second two year were profits. But the last year went down on the first year of the profits. So, right. so you know, and it's on a P of 70. Yep. So there's enormous amount of uh, hype built into the price. And I totally agree with Scott. I have no idea whether they can actually build the business at a, yep. an EPS growth rate. Would we be able to support anything like a 70 yeah, uh, seventy times earnings. It might. Yeah, but, but yep. I'd want to. I'd want to see a couple more years. Otherwise, you'd be treating it as a specky uh, buy. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But it will be interesting. The next yeah. result. It, it might be. Yeah. Because yeah. to justify this big leap in share price, yeah. they'll need to to increase revenues. I thought it was just a fascinating mm. business, though. It just tickled my fancy, if you like. Because I thought, what a great idea. One of those great ideas to go forward. But. Um, uh, They've been pretty successful in the US and about to uh, to start into Europe as well. Um, our fifth stock, uh, Servcorp, uh, Mark, mm. uh, serviced offices, yep. co-working spaces. Now, you know, what's going to happen with working from home uh, and whether, whether people <laughs> want to actually go into a co-working space anymore? Considering well, serve, you don't really serve, know. Surfcorp, I know the business very well, and I, I was a long-term yep. shareholder. I don't, I'm no longer a shareholder. I, right. I, I have sold out of it. Uh, but I know the business well. I know management very well. Uh, it's a founder-led company with Alf Farage, yep. who started it. Um, and uh, he's obviously got enormous skin in the game, so a lot of the family money. Yep. Uh, they're in 22 countries. I think they're 2,000-odd floors. Mm. Um, interestingly, if you look at the long-term history of it, uh, in the GFC, they've been growing very strongly right up to the GFC. And then what they did is they did a, a major capital raise in the GFC, which was a good time to do it because yeah. uh, the uh, share price was low. Right. And they they uh, expanded the business into countries they weren't in. Right. So they went all through the Middle East and you know, they're right. virtually right around the world now. Yep. But it's taken them 10 years to get their earnings back to where they were, ah. you know, which shows the extra competition from WeWork. Yes. And there's stacks and stacks of competition. It's been yep. a major growth area. Yeah. Um, it's very well run. They pay a very good dividend. And uh, it's been a very solid business if you buy it at the right prices. Going forward now, and I'm just having a look at it now, the share price is down to $2.27 and the PE is down to 6.7. Yep. So that PE is right at the bottom of the, 
of its range, and it's probably the cheapest it's been relatively forever. Right. I think you know, it was down to five point eight, and it's now six point seven in yep. the COVID yep. issue. It's very very cheap. Uh, has zero debt, uh, uh, plenty of cash on the balance sheet. Impossible oh. to go broke. Right. So the question is, coming out of COVID, how will the business look? They don't have that much co-working space. They have increased it in the last few years yep. as a uh, it is competitive more reaction. Offices. It's more offices. Yeah. Yep. So we might go yep. back to the office argument where you have your own, yep. your own walls. Yep. And the co-working space is a smaller part of that. Right. But a very big part of their income is also uh, remote workers who use them as their registered address, phone calls, use right. the system, who work from home and whatever. So they're actually in a strongly positioned for COVID in that side of the business, right. which okay. I think is probably about half right. yep. at a guess of the yep. business. So looking at the price now, it's extremely cheap. Yep. So going forward, we're showing it returning about 20% a year. But what we don't know is how what, what, what it's going to look like coming out in a year's time or two years' time. Sure. So it looks good, but... Yeah. It's cheap, relatively, it's very cheap based on his, historical performance. Risk is... Where do service offices fit in the environment post-COVID? Or right. Is COVID drags and on? Does that, does that risk outweigh the hard one. lower show, share hard price? One. I mean, I'm actually just sitting here looking at it, uh, uh, thinking that that sort of price, I might buy a few, because it's actually right. cheap enough that you've got yeah. a lot of margin of safety in there. Yeah. Scott? Yeah, this is a challenging one, and Mark's mm. already nicely highlighted. This is like the lowest price in 10 years, I think it is, pretty mm. much. Um, now, when you think about the last 10 years, the whole WeWork phenomenon, you know, Surcorp should have been at the very forefront of, hey, we're all not going to have our own offices. We'll all have some sort of shared workspace. Surcorp should have been right there. People bypassed service offices and went straight for that pure co-working, which is yep. desks lined up around the place or offices with two or three people that were permanent, but you're paying kind of per square foot rather than having this idea of going in once a week, once a month, use the meeting room, that kind of stuff. It really, part of, part of this was rational. The other part was purely emotional, right? WeWork was cool and fun and different. Yeah. Surfcorp yep. was kind of that old serviced office that the accountant or lawyer might use. No one wants to be that. They want to be the cool new tech kids. Um, it really just got straight out marketed, frankly. I, I, I want to, th I, I think like Mark, I, you know, it really tickles my deep value bone of kind of like, gee, maybe, just maybe there's, there's something here. It seems so cheap. The question really is, can they attract more customers? Not even, I, I think Mark's point about, you know, what do we, where do people want to work post COVID is, is a really good one, but it may well be that large unemployment numbers lead to more single person new companies which go back to co-working spaces rather than service offices so i think the, the question really is a really big one of not just the covid specific outcome mm. but broadly work i mean twitter themselves have said look no one is coming to the office ever again you can all work from home forever that's as long as yep. you want that when you're facing that and that becomes co-working at some point rather than serviced office i find this really really challenging founder-led high quality business they know their business they've really struggled with occupancy for a very very long time though um i, I i'm so i'm so desperately tempted because it looks so cheap <laughs> yeah. i have to say it hasn't done enough for me just yet to really earn you know in terms, yeah. of, in terms of growing capacity growing occupancy they haven't put the runs on the board just yet so i'm going to give yeah. it some more time yeah. if i end up paying a higher price in 12 months so be it I'd rather see some positivity in occupancy right. before I put my money on the table. And, and sort of WeWork has been a disaster around the oh, world. It has well, basically uh, collapsed. And if people are concerned with sitting on a bus with yeah. someone they don't know, yeah. sitting in a big co-working space with people coming and going, I wonder if, yeah. if that model is susceptible in the future and a serviced office, at least you have walls 
that other people yeah, yeah, don't come right. in right. on. I, I, I think they're positioned is, well is in a that. better spot. Yeah. And WeWork's a financial disaster. I mean, oh. yeah, I mean all it's, it's lost billions of dollars and it's absolutely there's smashed. Gonna be, um, there's got to be a TV series on WeWork. Well, if, 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 they didn't, if they didn't have uh, SoftBank behind them, yeah. they, they would have gone broke. The big Japanese yeah. bank, yeah. 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 Uh, yeah. Amazing. All right, so both blokes tempted. Yeah. Mark I'll is yes. tempting the yes. Scott is saying tempted but wait. All right. Um, our six dot. Let's recap on the uh, on the first five. Uh, Harvey Norman, uh, Mark prefers uh, Nick Scarley or, or Accent Group. Um, Scott is being tempted on Harvey Norman at the moment because of the price. Uh, IAG a yes because of the low price from uh, from Scott. A no from Mark. Uh, Aurora a no from both. Pushpay just too expensive at the moment. We. We should have uh, got involved about four weeks ago uh, and serve Corp a mixed result as well. Mark saying, yes, worth a dabble. Probably no more than a dabble. Um, oh, you're not, also, you can put an offer in below. Remember? Yeah. If yeah, we, have yeah. A, we have another drop in the market, you might pick it up for $1.50. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not impossible. Uh, our sixth stock is uh, the farm, uh, Medicinal Cannabis Group. Uh, they say they're in the pharmaceutical sector. Ozcan, uh, Mark, what do you think of this? I uh, don't like it at all. Right. And uh, very simply because it loses money and uh, it's been losing money for a decade. I've only got 10 years of data here and it's all heavily read yep. all the way through and no sales. So basically they're obviously in, it's been a long startup phase. And it's interesting yep. that they started that far back. How long has it been legal to do this? You know, yeah. so, <laughs> anyway, I don't know what that means, but because, of, because it's got medicinal yeah. in front of it. Uh, I had a look right. at their numbers, and basically, if you look at their return on equity, it's negative because they're losing money, and it's negative to the extent of minus 30, minus 114, minus 84, minus 203%. What right. that means, if it's negative 203%, it's lost more than double its capital. Wow. It has in the business. Recently, it's coming looking better. It went to minus 90, minus 54, and in 2019, it was minus 15. Right. which is their best year ever. So I had a look at shares outstanding because they have no debt. And the shares outstanding have grown over that 10 years from 20 million to 320 million shares oh. outstanding. So the way they've kept this going is by milking shareholders and doing rights issues, presumably, right. or placements yeah. or whatever. Yeah. So, yeah. so the shares have gone from 20 to 320 million okay. and they're still not making a cent yet. Right. Now, down the road, maybe they will. Uh, but as you, know, as you know, with Team Invest, We'd want to see at least uh, three or four years of good trading, sure. So we can evaluate it. At the moment, it's just been a massive suck, sucking money out of investors. Right, is okay. all it's done. Scott. Yeah, I, I, easy no. Um, it, it used to be TW Holdings, by the way, was the original company, which is why it has that history. Uh, TW Holdings acquired 100% of the company called Oscan. They'd probably changed its name to Oscan. Um, it was a pretty cool place to be if you wanted to speculate in what might happen with medicinal cannabis. We know, of course, recreational cannabis has been legalized in much of the U.S. and yes. Canada. So this is not a this is not a non-starter as an industry. I think that's different, though, to saying, you know, will Ozcan be a successful? Will it even exist? Let alone have find sales and profit at some level in medicinal or recreational cannabis. I have half an expectation. A lot of these guys are, you know, with one or maybe both eyes on the recreational market, saying, look, we'll start as medicinal. We'll sell that story when recreational cannabis is legalized. We'll jump in with both feet and really try and take that opportunity. Uh, Mark's dead right. This is this is pure speculation. I don't think it deserves our money other than it's pure lotto ticket type stuff. It is better treated as a, as a speculative gold miner or biotech player, trying to be the next big thing. We know that the vast bulk of those never achieve that success. Occasionally one does and everyone says, see, that one did well. Give me some more money. We might be next. 
and frankly, Australians love a punt. So you see why you might want to list on the ASX. Toys of municipal <laughs> cannabis ride the wave. It's a pretty, it's a pretty fun way to try and make some money. Um, of course, we know that most of the speculative miners and biotechs have either gone by the wayside or raised so much capital they're almost indistinguishable. I dare say, again, Oscan could make it right. This is one of those things that's made to make us look silly because someone will at some point, and people say, "Well, I told you, I told you it was going to happen." I don't think you can reasonably take an investment view that is a fundamentally right. based investment view and say at the current price there is any evidence at all to justify an investment, which is different from saying, "Hey, someone's got to win the lotto. I guess you might want to buy a ticket." As long as you know that's exactly what you're doing. Yep. Okay. All right. Good advice from both of you there. Our seventh stock is an investment bank, sort of uh, run by the president of the, uh, the Sydney Swans, um, Andrew Pridham, uh, who I know pretty well. I've followed <laughs> this for a while. I thought, uh, because it was basically a private bank that floated, I thought, oh, could this be a baby Macquarie in the making? Uh, Scott, is it? <laughs> I, I'm sure it wants to be. Um, I will say at least you've got... <laughs> Kosh, at least I've got better taste in, in football teams, is all, is all I'll say. Um, I think, I think Noel, it's, it's a, it, look, it's got a good track record and as, a, as an operating business, not necessarily yep. as a listed company, by the way, share price-wise. As an operating business, a good track record, a good history, uh, very well run, very well respected in the industry. And I think for me, I don't know if this is my preferred way to play it, but as the market recovers, we know that fund managers, investment managers, investment banks, corporate advisory firms, tend to outperform because they're a leveraged bet on that market, right? So as the market comes back, any investment is going to make even more money because they're simply leveraging that return. We'll see that with Platinum, with Perpetual, with Australian Ethical, heaps yeah. of others will, will, will follow the same, the same sort of path. It's a very brave person, a little bit like Macquarie for the record, a little bit, it's a brave person to bet against this business because they are so well connected, so well respected, so well known, a really good track record as investment managers. So. I'm not going to buy it at the current price. I think there are better fund managers out there to buy, but yeah. I wouldn't be betting against one. If you own it, I wouldn't be selling it, particularly if you own it for, but you know, for qualitative reasons that you believe it'll outperform over the long term. I think this probably is a market beater because of that outperformance. So I'm kind of talking out of both sides of my mouth. As the market recovers, this will do better than the market. So if you want to beat the market, I think Moolus is a good way to do that. But I think there are better fund managers out there with clearer paths to future profitability, perhaps. Okay, floated a. 250, I think, then did a raise at $5. So it's about in between at the moment. Mark, what do you think? Uh, I don't know the management. Uh, I've heard of it, but it's the first time I've looked at it. Yeah. It's only got three years history. Yes. But just looking at the numbers, what the numbers tell me is a bit different to what uh, Scott's saying. Um, the first year they made 25% uh, per share, 25 cents per share, then 22 cents, now 10 cents in the last right. one. That's a 37% average decline in right. earnings per year. So since they listed, all they've done is gone down on earnings. Yep. So that's bad. Uh, they've also increased debt from zero when they started, 14, 36, 71% debt to equity. So the debt's gone up at the same time earnings have gone down. Yeah. That's not good. Right. Um, and return on equity is now below 10. So I wouldn't touch it. And it's on a 30 PE. Yep. So it's going to have to do really, really well uh, going forward yep. to ever be able to justify that kind of um, uh, PE in my yep. mind. So I wouldn't go near it. Yep. Uh, the reputation comes from the fact it is, Scott, it, it is a highly regarded, also corporate restructuring business fund manager. Uh, it is a bit of a billionaire's factory as well. Well, they don't, they're not converting that into earnings. Right. And the last, it's, the last three years have been pretty solid. 
Yeah. So remember, there's not. We haven't got an impact in here yet of Corona. Yeah. So we're really saying the last three years, most of the other funds, like in Magellan's and everyone else, have done brilliantly well. Yeah. yeah. So what are these guys doing? Yeah. What are they doing, Scott? It comes from some degree to the fact that they are both corporate advisory. There's been much of that. Also, a value manager. It's been a really tough time to be a value investor. Over yeah. the last 10 years, as we all culturally know, uh, value investments have really struggled to beat the market. So, yeah, look, I, I agree with you, Mark. That's certainly been the background. This would be a, a bet you would make on the reputation of the investors and the business itself. That goes back pre-listing. Um, again, I, I don't necessarily, it's not my favourite play in the space, but because they're a fund manager, and because they're going to get a leverage return on that um, operation when the market recovers, as it recovers, and I think it will, I think it'll almost by definition outperform the market, but I don't think it's the number one play in that space. Okay. All right. Our eighth stock of the 10 you've sent through for us to look at today, Karoon Energy. Scott, an oil and gas producer in the middle of buying a, a Brazilian business at the moment. Yeah, Koshi, I'm going to be a bit of a broken record on this one, mate. And unfortunately for listeners or for you, sorry, who've, who've seen me talk about oil and gas before. Um, in oil and gas, you are literally betting on two things. The operational excellence of the operator is about 10 to 15% of the investment case. The rest of the investment case is all about the oil price. And so whether you're buying Karoon or Santos or Oil Search or Woodside or ExxonMobil, choose your player. Um, it is a really, really tough business to try and invest in if you're looking at fundamentals, you have to have a view on the oil price. I would argue it's incredibly difficult to have a view on the oil price, specifically because of the OPEC cartel and the Russian and Venezuelans who are involved at the same time. Now, the simple reality is there's no supply and demand. Normally in iron ore and boxes we talked about before, supply and demand dictates. It does in this case as well, except that supply is artificially constrained as we know by OPEC and their, and their mates. So to some degree, you're betting on what OPEC might do how the oil price might respond, a really, really tough thing to try and get right, I think. If there is a silver lining here, if there is a, a hope for the speculator, it would be that A, the economy is in a massive funk, as we well and truly know, and it seems that OPEC is kind of doing enough of a deal with Russia and Venezuela in particular to curb that supply growth. Yeah. If you were speculating, you would be speculating that those things will curtail supply, the economy recovers, and the oil price kind of again recovers on top of that. If there's money to be made here, that's how it's going to be made. Will it happen? It's literally anyone's guess. You have to just straight out speculate, guess, gamble, mm. call it what you want. I think that makes it investable, but I also am not guaranteeing people they won't make money if that scenario does come to pass. Okay. Mike? I agree with everything Scott said. And on anything I'll add is they've got a fabulous record of losing money. So <laughs> they've only ever made a profit in one year, which was in 2015, and they had no sales, so it must have been a sale of an asset. Oh, so right. so okay. they've been in the market for, at least, I don't know how long, but I can see 10 years, and it's all been bad news for shareholders. Right. So, okay. so yeah, they, it's one thing to be an explorer, but you've got to actually find things and sort of commercialise them or sell them. Yep. And yep. they haven't been able to do it. Sort of, it all goes back to basic business principles, yeah, does it? You've got to earn money yeah, right. and make a profit. So otherwise, just keep feeding them and hope, yep. hopefully one day they'll, uh, yep. they'll do it. Okay, so a note for Karoon Energy. Our ninth stock, uh, this is another one that's always fascinated me, um, a bit like Pushpay, uh, Nanosonics. It's, in, it's got a, a deep cleaning technology that stops cross-infection, uh, Nanosonics, which is... Uh, uh, I think is a, a, a really unique idea, and particularly for for this era, Mark. Uh, yeah, they do. They mainly, it's ma my understanding is mainly sterilising probes. 
yeah, yeah. So in, and then, in, in hospitals, yes, and yes, so hospitals like and so on. Yeah. So it, I mean, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting business. If you actually look at the, uh, uh, they are making they are making a uh, profit. It's about four cents a share, yeah. um, and it's been growing its earnings quite strongly. Well. It's, it's grown over the last four years. It hasn't grown the earnings strongly. It's last two years it's gone up and yep. not as much as it was in 2017. So it's been a bit all over the shop, really, uh, in earnings. Uh, return on equity is about 12, which is not very exciting. No debt. Yep. Uh, it's on 170 PE. Wow. Right. Now you go, well, so therefore, the thing, the thing with a lot of these stocks, it comes back to uh, what Scott said. There's a, because it's a tech stock, yep. Yep. You know, yep. people are betting on it. What I don't know, and you'd have to really get into it to understand it, is what's the market for sterilising probes? And, and the hospitals are really slow movers. And yeah. uh, there's, in, there's institutional players that have been there for a long time, like Steris and so on, yeah. who do all this stuff, yeah. with autoclaves and things. So you, you, I don't know is how big the market is. People, yeah. I think most people have no idea. Right. They're just going, oh, it's a tech stock. It sounds exciting. Yeah. That would work in coronavirus. Let's buy it. Yeah. So pure speculation, if you ask me. And... I don't uh, see how you could put a value on it, personally. Scott, they've got some sort of uh, unique platform, don't they? That yeah, they, they do. play off this. So I, I actually, um, this is my, this is my Mark kind of setting me up for this, but I'm going to say I think it's a buy. And so maybe we'll have a, we'll have a good conversation about it. Um, Nanosonics cre- creates more sales machines called the Trophon device. That's it. And they, let's run a bit of jargon. They have what they call nanonebulance technology. What that basically means is they take a proprietary solution, they effectively pour it in the machine, not literally, but you know, they put it in the back of the machine and that sprays the probes with that disinfectant solution. It is the highest um, commercially available disinfection rate possible. And so it's become very quickly the standard of care in much of Europe and the UK. Um, hospitals like John, Johns Hopkins in the US have adopted it. It, it is the leading technology when it comes to mm. disinfection and hospital acquired infections, HAIs, are one of the biggest causes of um, secondary infection and or longer term hospital stays. And so if you can solve that from both a medical and a commercial perspective, that's what gives you the opportunity. Um, and also, I think to some degree, the profit is a little bit hidden because they're reinvesting their sales growth into more marketing. Now, to be fair to Mark, that's either going to blow up or do really well. And we don't yet know with any company, which is which is true. Very easy to look at Amazon and say, look, they've made no money for 20 years, but look how big they are now because they've reinvested in growth. Plenty of other businesses that have reinvested in growth and still gone broke because they couldn't they couldn't turn a profit. Yeah. I think yeah. Nanosonics is one of the four. I think it will make money because it has become the standard of care from a medical perspective. As Mark said, lots of competitors, but right now both the actual machine and the patents they have make them the best in the business and they're kind of unmatched. So from that perspective, I think it's a good investment. I think it's worth going for. But to Mark's point, very very expensive. They still need to convert that sales growth to profit at some yeah. point. Because eventually, effectively, the patents run out. And if you run out of patents before you make some money, all that growth's been for nothing. Great, great patient outcomes, of course, but a, a terrible, terrible financial result. So I think it is a buy. It is very, I don't think it's speculative. I think that's the right word personally. But it is, you are taking a lot of risk around the valuation because if they can't convert, you're only left holding the baby. But right. it's hard to argue against the quality of the product. Yeah. And I think as a result of the investment case. Is it one of those things that could go into aged care facilities or you know because it 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 sprays this stuff into the rooms doesn't it into the properties so it doesn't at the moment it's actually internally inside a single machine so the probe goes inside the machine and the technology then disinfects the machine in effectively a closed environment i am dead sure 
Nanosonics is looking for other alternative ways of doing it. The reason it doesn't so to close devices is because it wants to cope entirely that device right. rather than relying on it being coded directly. But the sort of technology it uses can, I'm sure, well, hopefully be used for more purposes. I wouldn't invest on that basis, by the way. That's right. pure speculation from my perspective. That's not worth your investment dollars. The base case is, but I do think you are getting to some degree, if not free options, you're getting the benefit of its R&D into what comes next. At right. the moment, just ultrasound probes, as Mark rightly points out, and that may be as far as it goes, but you are getting a business that is the standard of care. It's got a nice recurring revenue model, by the way, because it sells the machines once yeah. in most of the world, it rent them in the UK, but it sells that proprietary solution you know, month after month after month. So it right. kind of keeps the revenue going once the initial sale is made. I'm sure they're working on more disinfection of more types of devices or more uses. Whether yeah. it gets to that level, I mean, we'll hope so for, for yeah. patient outcomes, but I wouldn't be betting on that basis. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Interesting one. Uh, and our final stock, we're going to go for a good old resource stock, Mark, uh, one of our top tier gold producers, yes. Northern Star. <clears throat> uh, yes, uh, I'm, a, I'm a shareholder in Northern Star, so ah, I'll clear that. Um, it's a uh, quali- quality company. The management is outstanding. Um, in fact, it's past Team Invest uh, filters for about eight years. Oh. Um, not a lot of our members have invested in it, though, because we are fairly negative on miners you know we like right. mining services if you want to invest in the area yeah uh, but if you actually, because it's very because much of the, because of the, yeah, right, because of the because of the lack of control of yeah. pricing yeah. Uh, northern star management did uh, in fact one of our members was involved in the uh, business when it, in, in the gfc what they did is they bought up some assets uh, very very cheaply huh? and then they were lucky as he right. described it so the assets proved to be far better than what they thought right. so when they did further drilling and so on it was much more gold. so they they did really really well on their uh, their initial uh, business and then they were they ran it like a proper uh, money-making business most what miners do is they'll often you know they're chasing gold so yeah. you make a bit of money and you want to spend that on more more exploration and find more gold right uh, NST were really disciplined so they had no debt and they made sure they made a profit and paid dividends. And if you look at their earnings, it was linear. Yep. So their earnings growth have run 23% a year uh, with quite high stability for a, dec- for a decade. So if you look at their earnings, they were 0.008 of a cent in 2010, and now they're 31 cents. And right. it hasn't been one year virtually where it's gone down, okay. straight up. So you don't see that often yep. with miners. That's yep. not typical. No. So quality company, uh, management's outstanding. Return on equity has been really high. Uh, now, what they've done recently is they've expanded overseas. They were all in, only in Australia, and they okay. bought more assets in Australia, around Kalgoorlie and the super pit and so on. Right. But they've also bought a mine in uh, Alaska called Pogo, right. which is quite a big mine. I think it's 183,000 ounces a year. Right. So it's an existing mine. I think they bought it from Barrick. Yeah. So they've, they've, they've expanded significantly, and they did a, a share issue. They still haven't got any debt. Um, right. And it's interesting, it's on a 48 PE which 48 is a massively high PE for a, gold, for a miner. Right. Now, yeah. I think there's a bit of market sentiment there of, on you know, the appeal of gold with all what's going on. Oh. It's probably helping. Yeah, um, and, and good management. Yeah, yeah, and, and basically their earnings growth is really solid and we're, what we're showing is about a 10% return at the current price of uh, $14.60. Right. And it's up from eight. It's a, high, it's a record high yeah. at the moment. I think it's record, yeah, absolute record yeah. high share price. Okay. So it's not cheap. No. Uh, but quality company and uh, definitely passes all our uh, all okay. of our scrutiny. So at this at a record high. No, well I wouldn't buy it now. No, but I think it, in the you've last had, you've in, had a good ride. Well, in the last twelve months, it's gone from eight dollars eighty to fourteen sixty. So it's doubled right. in twelve months. Yep, good rationale, Scott. Yeah, I, I was Mark's absolutely knows this company better than I do. So so just count my views accordingly and, and overweight Mark's to, to that same <laughs> degree. A couple of things I would say is. 
Mark mentions the, the gold price. The gold price has not been this high for about seven years, yep. and only yep. higher than this about, or sorry, as this high two or three times in the last decade. And so, if you believe that these things are cyclical, and I do, mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything structural keeping the gold price high, other than the cycles of people are freaked out. They want to buy something other than shares. They don't want to own cash. So everyone rushes to gold. Is what happens every time there's a downturn. Um, the reverse is probably likely. So again, guaranteed, of course not, but probably likely. I agree with Mark, by the way, on, on the company quality, absolutely. But as I said about Karoon, the, the quality of the operation is only a proportion of what you can deliver. Now, gold maybe is a little bit higher than I think it is in oil and gas for, for different reasons. But if you think about what's likely to happen with the gold price when the market recovers, and it will, I don't think we'll see a market recovery and a gold price staying at all-time highs at the same time. Yeah. If that's true and my, my expectations are correct, a lower gold price has to, by definition, almost by definition, mean a lower share price for Northern Star. Short of something dramatic like a new cheap discovery or um, yeah. something they can do it at effectively zero cost, very, very hard for their share price to keep going up when the gold price is going down. Sure. So I wouldn't buy Northern Star. I would sell it at the current price if I owned it. Uh, but again, just bear in mind, Mark knows more about the business than I do. So it, on, yeah. on balance, I wouldn't know Northern Star at this point. He's done very well, by the way, to do well done, Mark, to do so well to do this point. But at some point, yeah. you've got to say, look, the gold price is at you know kind of seven-year highs, close enough to 10-year highs. The, 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 the range of probabilities, I think, skews massively towards a lower gold price in future. Now, in the next two or three months, who knows? I'm talking you know, as a, as a long-term investor, three, five, 10 years. I don't think it's likely to be market betting over that period because I think the gold price will come down as the market goes up. Very, very tough to make money doing that. <laughs> Gentlemen, that's fabulous. Thank you so much for your time to today. Scott Phillips from uh, Motley Fools. <laughs> Mark Morland from Team Invest. Always great to have your company. My pleasure. Thank Good you. Idea. Thank you. Uh, that's it from us for today. Don't forget, if you want to add any suggestions to uh, stocks, for us to look at on the call every day. Just email them in to the call at osbiz.com.au or through Twitter, our handle is osbiztv. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.